The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Brett King. Thank you very much. This is episode 22 of The Boys of Tech for the 22nd of June 2009. I'm Edwin Herman, introducing my co-host, Brett King. Welcome. Hello. Brett, it's, it was a great episode last week, wasn't it, with Bruce Simpson? It was indeed. It was good to have him on. I, I think I think he enjoyed it, and I get the sneaking suspicion he's, he's wanting to come back. Do you think? Let's hope so. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to get him on again. Uh, you'll have to now that I've mentioned this. <laughs> All right, let's get into our first stories for the week. Microsoft is to give away some antivirus software. What? Yeah, they've developed a, a well, they're developing a product that's going to be released soon. It's called Moro. It's their anti-threat software for Windows, and it's going to be given away for free. Do you trust it? I'm not sure. I'll, I'll have to see how it stacks up in a antivirus, um, one of the antivirus showdowns that they do. Yeah, they're trying to take on uh, Semantic, steal customers from Semantic and McAfee. The, the, only, the only thing I, I've got about, about this whole thing is, do you really ever trust antivirus software from the same manufacturer that makes the operating system? I mean, surely, if they, if they, can, if they can fight viruses and you know, other threats, surely they can plug some of the holes. Mm, mm. It's, it's, it's an interesting idea they've got. Uh, it's definitely got the two sides. There's, the, there's our obviously sceptical side of, is this product going to be any good? Um, but the other side of it is that we know that malware is out there and we know it's really prominent and we know that it, the reason that there are so many infected computers is because the person sitting in front of the keyboard has allowed it to become so either by not having an antivirus software not updating their antivirus software or you know just randomly clicking on things on the internet going oh i'm sure this is going to be good or wow (laughs) I, i really want that monkey to be dancing across my desktop sounds awesome so on that side Something coming from Microsoft that's free, that is only tackling antiviruses. It's not going to do any of the other things, parental locks and stuff that you get and pay for security um, software, just going to be looking for viruses and malware. And it's coming straight from Microsoft. It's going to be part of, you're probably going to be able to download it through Windows Update. So maybe it's a good thing that something that's from the company that people know Everybody knows Microsoft. You get a person sitting at their computer, a little old lady, and you ask her what's her computer. She'll probably say it's a Windows or it's a Microsoft or something. It's a name that they're going to be aware of. Whereas, you know, you ask the same little old lady, do you know what Symantec is? Do you know what AVG is? And they'll probably have a blank look on their face. So in one way, it could be a good thing. Microsoft leveraging their name and their direct avenue to their customers to those PCs to get something on there, whether or not it's any good, we're yet to see, but at least it will be something that's got a much, you know, much more likely chance of actually getting installed on a computer and 
protecting it somewhat compared to the open computers that exist at the moment. On the other hand, there is the fact that it might be a really piece of crap antivirus, anti-malware software, but we won't know that until it's out and we get a chance to have a look at it. Yeah, I guess that's a risk. And if people rely on it and it doesn't turn out to be good, might you be in a worse situation where they might have otherwise been, you know, a little bit more aware and, and thought, well, maybe I should get Semantic or McAfee. And, but they haven't, and they've got this Windows Moro, which just isn't quite up to the task. And they think if they're protected. If it's not up to the task, then it will be on the, the onus of Microsoft to either make it up to the task if they're committing themselves to this avenue, because they're, they're ditching their OneCare, isn't it? They're ditching their live OneCare service. Yes, yes. Their pay for antivirus, yada, yada, for this free one. So it'll be, the onus will be on Microsoft to make sure that it's a, a proper product and not lagging behind any of the other virus protection companies. But it'll also be on the you know, professional virus protection companies to be pushing their products out there as, you know, we, ours is better than Microsoft. Ours does all of these extra things to help protect you. And there's not enough of that. Yeah, in a, in a way, I, I think good on Microsoft for, for actually, you know, getting in there and, and, and making it free. You know, I don't really want to take the pessimist side, really. I mean, let's give them a chance. Let's see what Moro is all about. And let, let's hope that it's a great product. And and if it is, then, then you know, I, I'll surely be uh, giving it a go. Absolutely. Yeah. Did I? Hmm. I'm constantly trying out different antivirus software on my computers to see which one's better. Constantly looking at the different comparisons to see which ones are catching which sorts of things, which ones heuristics are catching the emerging viruses. It's just one of the things I do. What are you favoring at the moment? At the moment, I'm favoring ESET, Nod32. Oh, Nod32, yeah. 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 Prior to that, I was on Kaspersky. How'd you find that? I found that really good. It was easy to use. I'll tell you, I'll tell you the one I particularly like, but I, <laughs> it takes a, a big hit in the wallet, and that's Sophos. Sophos, mm, really? Yeah. I, I have yeah. not seen it up there on the, on the list for quite some time, other yeah, than for, for it, server stuff, you know, inter, intercepting stuff through email. Yeah, their, their, big, uh, their big thing at the moment is, uh, is corporate stuff. Oh, they do the email scanning as well, but they certainly have their security suite products as well for the actual, you know, OS and files, and they've got mm-hmm. a, you know desktop versions as well. But their their main their main aim is uh, is the corporate world at the moment, and that's why they've sort of disappeared from the you know the average home user you know sort of market. But no, no, yeah, I, I, yeah they've got a very very good product, but uh, yeah, very expensive. Yeah. Well, anyway, that's uh, Microsoft Moro uh, to watch out for. Yeah. And have you got a Blu-ray player? Uh, no, I don't. Oh, actually, yes, I do. I have a PlayStation 3. Oh, you PlayStation 3, absolutely. Well, <laughs> there's going to be some changes to that because, uh, well, not to your particular <laughs> PlayStation 3. No one's going to come in and, and, and change it and walk away. But uh, <laughs> what's going to happen is that the AACS Licensing Authority, which licenses the basically the DRM for Blu-ray, uh, wants to block the analog hole. Now, as you know, a lot of Blu-ray players have analog outputs, and that's Indeed. what they want to get rid of. So... They only mm. want you to use HDMI with its uh, DRM-capable protocol, and that's the only outputs you're going to be able to have uh, in, an, uh, you know, in a few years' time. 
So do you know if there's already a HDMI to analog converter out there? <laughs> I'm, uh, sure somebody's, that would be interesting. I'm sure somebody's worked on the encryption that goes along HDMI. It'd be interesting I'm to sure see it, when that one's cracked. The, they all get cracked at some point or another. Mm. Mm. And what it's going to do really is it's not going to stop the actual people who pirate and create, you know, pirated Blu-ray discs for sale in, you know, when you pop off to some, you know, Southeast Asian country and buy your $40 for 100 movies on Blu-ray. It's not going to stop that because no, they're no. going to be the first people to come out with something which cracks the HDMI encryption. Absolutely. What it's going to do is it's just going to piss off all of the people who suddenly, who currently have like a PlayStation 3 or one of the first Blu-ray players and they don't have an HDMI television because they've got, you know, a big, perfectly functional, perfectly great TV which takes analog input and it's just going to piss them off, really. Well, they'll just hang on to the existing Blu-ray players, I guess. Exactly. They're just going to hang on to their stuff. Yeah. It's only stopping... It's only going to stop people who aren't into piracy in a big way anyway, because it's not going to stop direct digital ripping by any of the software which can already do that. So... So you think they're barking up the wrong tree, perhaps? I think so. One of the things I thought was most interesting about this whole stopping the analog whole thing is that the MPAA itself recommends using a camcorder pointed at your television as a way to make a fair use copy of something. <laughs> yeah, I like so, that. <laughs> hence creating another analog hole. <laughs> you got to admit though, that analog hole is a lot worse in quality than the, the existing one by using the you know, analog outputs. I mean, pointing it towards your screen gives you a horrible picture. <laughs> well, I guess we'll have to, we should do that a test. We'll see what a nice brand new HD TV with its awesome crispness and a nice brand new HD video camera can do together. Well, that's the thing. Maybe the, the, the screen is just a little too crisp and clean that you'll actually make out the little dots on the, on the screen. I don't know. Yeah. It'll be interesting it'll be to see. Interesting, but... It'll be an interesting test to see. To yeah, try. absolutely. <laughs> and if the MPAA has said that it's a, a way to make a fair use copy of something. Well, you're not breaking the law. You're not breaking sure. the law then, so nothing's stopping us from giving it a try. All righty, time to take a quick look at the Conficker worm. There's been an interesting write-up uh, on the on New Scientist about the Conficker worm. It is very, very interesting in the way it evolved and the way they, they found out about this. The way they discovered this worm is that they've got what they call a network telescope. It's basically a collection of millions of dummy internet addresses that all point to the same computer and that's used to detect these viruses and worms and so on. And so it's a good way of monitoring what's going on you know, underground. On the 20th of November, the telescope was detecting about 3,000 infected computers per hour. And that was kind of what you'd expect. That's kind of the background level of, you know, all the malicious stuff that's out there. Now, between 6 p.m. that night and 9 a.m. the following day, that rose to 115,000. That was Conficker. It was out of control. It also showed up in honeypots. These are collections of computers on the internet that are deliberately unprotected so as to attract these things for, for analysis. And it was clear that this worm was 
particularly well written. This was a, a very smart and sophisticated worm. For example, one of the things that it does is that once it infects a host by sneaking in the vulnerable port, it actually places a patch, its own patch if you like, on that port, which means that other malicious code can't sneak in that way and also makes it harder to detect these infected hosts. Now one of the things they found this worm was doing was it was generating every day about 250 meaningless domain names, you know, strings of letters ending in .com or .net. And that was the way that, well at least that appeared at the time, that the worm was using to update itself over the internet. So the controllers, the, the people who wrote this thing, could issue new updates to the worm because the worm would try these different URLs and all that the creators need to do is to register one of these domain names and they've got the list because they created this thing. Uh, so they can uh, register one of these domain names and issue the new version of the worm that way. So that was a very smart and sneaky little trick that they put into this worm. Now eventually a team of researchers took apart this worm, uh, they found that it was actually buried beneath two separate layers of encryption, uh, they took apart this thing and they found uh, the list of URLs, and so that was, that was a good start because there, the idea was maybe if they could somehow prevent these, U these domain names from being registered, they were onto something, but that was easier said than done, it's kind of hard to get the domain name registry uh, for .com to, to agree to that and the logistics, so it was actually harder to, uh, harder to put into practice. Then on the 29th of December 2008, uh, there was a new version of the worm issued by the, by the authors. This new worm had a couple of new tricks. For example, it could jump onto a USB drive uh, from an infected computer. When the drive is then inserted into a clean computer, it hops off the USB drive and there you go, one more infected computer. One of the other things the new worm did was it blocked access to some of these security websites. So for example, someone using an infected computer, perhaps knowing that their computer is infected, might decide to visit the Microsoft Update site so they can download a patch for their computer, but the worm actually prevents the computer from reaching those sites in the first place. So it was particularly nasty. By now the worm had spread very rapidly. Uh, no one really knows for sure how many computers are infected, but the estimate was at around 3 million infected machines, which, which is huge. That's a, uh, in such a short space of time as well. Again, it updated itself, this time on the 15th of March 2009, and this new version had a new list of URLs in it. In fact, there were 50,000 URLs in this list that it has, that it picks from, and it, they found that it was picking around 500 URLs a day to check. Now, what made this particularly tricky was that this time, the list of URLs didn't just end in top-level domain names like .com and .net, but they also ended in country-specific top-level domain names like .kz, .ie, .ca. And that means that anyone wanting to get together and block this thing would actually have to cooperate and liaise with all the different internet domain name registries in all the different countries. So that just made it that much more difficult, again, to block this thing. April Fool's Day came and April Fool's Day went. Uh, people thought that on that day we would see the, the payload of this worm and what, what it was all about. But in fact, it was actually a rather non-event. Nothing actually happened. The real payload of this worm was, was yet to be seen. But 
on the 7th of April 2009, the authors of the Conficker Worm let loose yet a new version of the worm, and this time, the new version of the worm updated via P2P. Now, because of the nature of P2P, there's no central release point, it's very, very hard to actually try and stop this thing. So researchers realized that the whole random URLs was just a temporary measure to throw people off track, and that it was always planned that this thing would would spread via the P2P network. It was It was a particularly tricky piece of work. So right now, we've got millions of infected computers with the Conficker worm, uh, probably part of a huge botnet, and it's near on impossible to stop. So anyway, that's that's a story of Conficker. Uh, I thought it was it was an interesting little read, an interesting summary of of how this thing developed and how the researchers discovered it and the new versions that were released. Very very smart piece of code. Very well written. Very well thought out as well. Did an iPod save a girl struck by lightning? Well. Doctors think so. Uh, A 14-year-old, Sophie Frost, in England, was apparently sheltering under a tree in a violent thunderstorm, and she was actually hit by lightning. And the doctors reckon that the iPod saved her because she had her headphones around her neck, and it's quite possible that the electricity went uh, through that rather than through her body, which probably would have happened if she was wearing her headphones. Indeed, if she was wearing her headphones and what actually happened what the doctors say probably happened actually happened then well she would have gotten that zap straight to the brain <laughs> her ipod was toasted that's for sure that was well definitely that's gone well, that's 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 quite interesting yeah <laughs> maybe we should have a ipods for everyone and in case of storms well i'm not sure if it's the ipod or more the fact that she had some metal wire around her so you reckon any metal wire around you might might do the same thing i'm guessing it's got to be working well you should know this you're the physics person it's got to be working somehow in the the you know that faraday principle etc well i'd say i'd say you're right it's something to do with the you know shortest path so uh, exactly you know, it's easier for, for electricity to travel through through a wire than it is through your body and i guess that's what it is so unfortunately you know you're right uh any piece of wire would probably do the same thing and of course it mm-hmm. depends on the circumstances oh. and where the lightning hit and stuff like that as well oh, precisely because shouldn't that you know, for the shortest path to work, it would need to still be able to make it to the ground. So, yeah, did, so she have still... her, did she have her iPod on the ground or was it just that the wire allowed the lightning to flow over above the skin for a certain distance and then down her legs? I'd say it would be either. I mean, if the iPod was on the ground, I'd imagine it would discharge through that. If she was standing up, then yeah, that might be just enough to take it past some of the critical organs or past her heart and stuff and yeah. just through her legs. I guess so. Yeah. Well, that, it's, it's very lucky she, girl. Very lucky. Very lucky indeed. And uh, I'm, I'm sure she doesn't mind giving up an iPod for, for her life. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> so that, that story is doing the rounds on the, on the wires at the moment. So I thought it was uh, uh, worth a mention. Uh, YouTube is now going to let you choose the way you see ads. It's going to give you two choices for some of the premium content. You get a choice. You can either watch an ad in its entirety before the clip you're viewing, or it's going to throw up a number of ads throughout the clip. And you get to choose you know, before you actually go ahead. That's kind of cool. It is. It is. It'll get rid of the, the annoying pop-ups, which lots of people... Um, well, obviously get annoyed with the pop-ups that currently obscure part of the video that you're watching and you've got to 
go in and click close to make the damn things yeah, go well, away. Do you, do you know what's really bad about those? Is that often the bottom third is where you have subtitles or, or little you know bits of information in Indeed. the actual clip. I mean, they in could the have made it the top third. And, and so it, you then miss the thing and have to go yeah, back and watch ex- it again. Exactly. <laughs> It'd be 10 times better if they'd actually used the top third. But, yeah. but no, look, the, the whole thing about being able to choose, I think, is great because obviously, so too, yeah. obviously there are people who who don't like these interruptions and so they'll go for the you know, for the ad at the, the clip at the beginning. But there are other people who just really want to get into the clip straight away and hate sitting through something. So uh, we'll pick the other option. Yeah, yeah, the the commercial breaks. Yeah, the commercial, <laughs> I think it's yeah. an interesting it's an interesting idea. You either can watch one of a couple of specifically targeted ads, or you can watch through your clip and be treated with some commercial breaks for some sort of other ads. I guess that you don't get to choose. It's it's. I, I like it. It's forward thinking. This is this is good. It stuff. is forward thinking, and they Google has been wondering how it is that they're going to, you know, really make some money <laughs> out of YouTube, and this is definitely one way to present targeted advertising to the viewer. And I think they've gone about it the right way by giving the viewer a choice. They feel like you know, it's it's kind of softens the blow a little bit, doesn't it? Indeed. You're not going to get out of having to have an ad put in front of you, but at least you get some choice as to what ad you get to watch. Yeah. Yeah. I think, <laughs> no, I think it, it, gives, it gives you a nice warm feeling as a, as a YouTube viewer. I like it. Mm-hmm. Yep. All righty. Yeah. Microsoft is going to add a subdomain to Bing. We talked about Bing uh, a week or two ago. That's the new search engine for, from Microsoft. They're adding a new subdomain to it called explicit.bing.net, which is for, well, explicit content, adult material. Indeed. They've signed up. Well, they're, you know, it's going to be providing content that's coming from explicit magazines or explicit websites, video providers. So they're going to be working with the industry to provide a search engine for, for that. So they're targeting that area. So that's pretty Oh, it's is that good or bad? You know, quite. <laughs> it's bracy. Well, it's a good. It's a good marketing tactic, isn't it? It's, yes, yes. It's it's a very good marketing tactic. We everybody knows that the internet's for porn. Is it? <laughs> well, you haven't l- listened to that song. It's a great song. No, I haven't. <laughs> it's a hilarious song. It's very um, funny. But yes, the industry. That particular industry has driven so many other media industries. It's remarkable that nobody has, no search engine has taken on this. There's all of these search engines which have been putting in the, you know, the, 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 the net sort of nanny and yeah, that, that sort of stuff the, to stop people from getting at that material. But nobody's tackled it from the other, the other side no. where there is a, the, a huge market for it. The industry has been a driver of innovation within the greater media industries. So a search engine actually taking on the other side and presenting a way for the people who access that sort of content to easily access that sort of content from legitimate providers, I think is a really good marketing strategy for Microsoft, for Bing. I think I think we'll see Bing's usage skyrocket. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably right. Yeah. Well, the other thing, of course, is people not wanting that kind of content are going to be getting good results as well. And I'll tell you why I say that. Because with all this known explicit material that Microsoft, through their 
Bing search engine will be teaming up with, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure they're going to just... They'll be able to separate it, yeah, all of that separ- out. Absolutely. The it's going to be separated search. out. So you're not going to get that stuff through their through their standard search. And yep. on top of that, they can have some AI, kind of like what Google does with its safe search option. Uh, yep. But, but you know, it's not perfect, but it's going to be enhanced by the fact that, as you said, this is going to be separated out. So mm-hmm. I think this is... This is a good thing. So yeah, it's for, um, depending on who it is that Microsoft gets to, you know, sign up or carry on or how they're going to work that within the industry, depending on who they get to sack up there, then yes, they'll be stripping all of those away from the regular Bing search. And so be making that regular Bing search far more, you know, child friendly. But it's still, as we know, with tools like Safe Search and Net Nanny and all of the different filters and all that sort of thing. The stuff that is unknown, the stuff that is not provided by a big provider, is stuff that comes through um, some shady place off in some faraway Eastern European server, that's still going to get through because it's not known about until... Yeah, but you can do some AI stuff still. You can, you can. You can filter out a lot of the stuff, but then... It's not perfect, I know. There's yeah, stuff will come through. It's not perfect when you look at your spam filter. Yeah, look, I <laughs> how much spam is still coming through. <laughs> I, you know, I did an innocent uh, search the other day for um, a Linux logo, the Linux Penguin logo, and I typed words like that into my image search, and something that came through was nothing like a Linux Penguin logo. Yeah. And this, that was a completely innocent search. This is at work as well, so I was really hoping that no one would look at the logs and, and think, you know, well, why has this come through? Hopefully they can tell what my search terms were. Indeed. <laughs> At least I hope so. Otherwise, I have a. And actually, I'll tell you another little story as well. Uh, when I went on a Microsoft uh, technical course many years ago, uh, we part of the course was to configure a web server and and your DNS for that as well. Now I'd misconfigured my DNS, and uh, <laughs> when I punched in my, the name of my host, which was Server Twenty Three, uh, it couldn't find it. So IE automatically goes, "Oh, maybe you mean Server Twenty Three dot com." Little did I know that server23.com was an explicit site and I had all these pop-ups, all this porn coming up on my screen and I'm in the middle of a class and I'm I'm glowing bright red and the tutor comes over and looks at my screen and I kind of, I, I quickly explained what had happened and he said, I'm going to have trouble explaining this to our web guy. <laughs> you know, when they look at the logs, but yeah, no, it was um, rather embarrassing. Oh, uh, hilarious. <laughs> One of the worst places it could happen, I guess. Well, no, we're, we're, actually, probably doing a presentation would be even worse. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That could be worse. But, so. Well, doing a presentation, it's, it's, it's worse in the embarrassment up front, but far easier to explain. Well, that's true, because they can all see you doing what exactly. you're doing. Whereas, yeah, that, all that's, the that's true. It is the, yes, you're sitting behind the computer in class and suddenly all this stuff is there mm. <laughs> without witnesses. <laughs> Yes, that was the uh, the part that made it a little trickier to explain. <laughs> anyway, so that's Bing and its explicit search uh, subdomain. Uh, when when was the last time you used a Commodore sixty four, Brett? Um, last time I used a Commodore sixty four, ninety five. Ninety five. That's a, that's a long time ago. Guess what? Yeah. If, you, if you dig their computer out right now. You can actually Twitter from it. Someone's written a Twitter <laughs> client for Commodore 64. Oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't even know they could do TCP IP. Oh, well, that I did know. I did know oh, did that you? they came out, that some people have 
come up with a um, an Ethernet connection device for Commodore 64s. <laughs> What's the hardware like, though? Where does it clip in? Um, How does it I'm connect? not sure. It'll probably be one of those the expansion ports at the back. Right. So someone must have made some custom hardware then for, for the actual card itself, the, the, the adapter itself. As far as I'm aware, it is a custom device. <laughs> That's kind of funny. The, the whole thing about internet on your 60, Commodore 64 is just weird, let alone Twittering from it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. It is very bizarre. It's, it's people with far too much time on their hands. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Because it's really got no purpose, really, does it? It's really got no purpose other than, well, it's, you know, can it be done? It's that, yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. it is. It's, it's a challenge. That's what just it's all like about. The, yeah. Just like the what is the what is the lowest machine that you can install Windows on, or what is the lowest machine you can install Linux on, and people challenging each other to do those sorts of things and yeah. come up with, with you know, here I've I've installed Linux on my toaster. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my toast never crashes now. Indeed, I have an internet-connected toaster. It has its own website where I can tell it to make my toast. So it's, it's the same old answer, isn't it? Why? Because we can. Exactly. Why? Because we can. Why did people climb big hills? Because yeah, they're well, there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> These are the challenges for the tech environment. These are our mountains. <laughs> you put that so nicely. I like that. <laughs> that. I think that will be the title of this episode. Alrighty, Microsoft have said it's a recession. We're no longer going to reimburse our staff for phone expenses unless they're using Windows mobile devices. <laughs> oh no, all of those Blackberries and iPhones and HTCs and Android phones that yeah. all the, the Microsoft employees are owning because they're good and easy to use and oh, yeah. out the window now. Well, <laughs> Not at work, please. <laughs> what's the real reason for this? I mean, is this just being arrogant or is there a, a valid reason? I mean, it, it, it doesn't make really, sense to me. Really, is there a valid reason for it? Other than, I guess, perhaps the, I, you know, the, the provision packages for the Blackberries and iPhones are quite on the pricey side, the data packages and stuff. Perhaps the Windows CE ones are, are cheaper. Yeah, but surely they're only going to claim for what's reasonable. I mean, you wouldn't claim your whole phone, phone bill and data plan because surely you're using, this is for... You know, these are personal mobiles used for work. Maybe they can claim their entire data plan. A lot of companies provide you with the phone and every use of that phone, the company pays for. Yeah, just, yeah, maybe, I don't know. It just seems kind of weird. It's like, Mm. well, ouch (laughs) for those people. but ouch for the people with the iPhones, ouch for the people with the Blackberries who are addicted to um doing their email on the go. I mean, it's, surely it's not to drive sales to Microsoft because, look, how many employees do they have compared to the worldwide market of these things? I mean, a few Precisely. thousand employees. How is many not employees do they have it. and how many of those employees will be able to claim reimbursement of data plans? Exactly. So you're going to convert, devices? what, a few thousand staff yeah. members? That's not going to increase your market share. So no. I, I don't know so what It can't this is be a about. market share thing. Really can't. It's, it's not, not about. Really, but the only thing I can think of is that perhaps it is cheaper to provide data plans to Windows mobile devices. I mean, they say it's it's a cost saving measure, but I mean, they'll say anything really. I mean, that's that's the PR department no, speaking. Indeed. But uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's what's happening at Microsoft. Meanwhile, over at Apple, uh, rumors are that Steve Jobs has had a liver transplant. 
Well, he has been away on medical leave for some time. He Indeed he has, and he's lost a lot of weight, and people have been talking about that. They thought it was the cancer coming back. I guess the, the reason people are so concerned about this is Steve really is Apple. Indeed. He's indeed. actually very, very critical to that company. He and is critical to the way the company has been run. He's critical to the ideas, um, the abs- concepts, and the direction. And yeah. That's why people so, are worried. Investors would be worried if, if Steve investors left. Investors would be very worried. The, the, the place might rumble along perfectly fine if he decided to retire, but the investors, <laughs> the people with the money <laughs> in Apple, they would be the ones who they, they bank on people, not necessarily on companies, especially yeah. if that person has had such a strong influence, strong leadership and input into almost everything that they've gone done it's uh that that's i think why this story is 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 making news because he's he's he really analysts do say that he's very very critical to the company if he goes apple well apple won't disappear but it's not going to be the same apple so no no well anyway we have to stress this is just a rumor we really don't know uh after all uh at one point they were reporting he was he had died when he hadn't so (laughs) who knows what's true about it (laughs) It, it is a rumour. In his words, reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. <laughs> yes. Alrighty, we'll take a break, and when we come back, we'll look at the New Zealand stories for the week. Alright, welcome back. Uh, the New Zealand story for the week a Wellington-based company, Optimize, they've developed some web acceleration software and it's going global. Now, the way it works, they reckon this is pretty much a first. The way it works is that, as you probably know, web content is made up of a whole heap of files that the browser has to request from the server separately. So what this thing does is it actually sits in between and bundles all those things together as much as it can uh, for example, CSS and HTML, so it embeds the CSS in the HTML if it's, you know, if it's currently in separate files, and then delivers that down to the, to the browser, and things like scripts as well. Instead of having scripts placed, you know, sporadically here, there, and everywhere, and referenced in different files, it bundles them all together, uh, embeds that as well. So, so really, you can have your HTML, your CSS, and your JavaScript physically stored on separate files, but the way the the browser sees it uh, because it's been bundled up by the optimized software. It's all just in the one package. That's several requests less in many cases. That's where you lose out uh, time-wise when you're when you're surfing the net. Hmm. Very smart. Yeah, I think it is almost too simple, really. Indeed, it is. <laughs> but <laughs> it it's, really it, does <laughs> sound it. But it's great. It's uh, so they've signed up a, a few big companies, and uh, look, this is this is good news for New Zealand. It's very good news for the New Zealand computer software industry. We're always coming up with good stuff down here. Yeah, there's always something every now and again. We didn't we do uh, was it Pegasus Mail? I think yes. Yeah, Pegasus. Yeah. I actually tried the software out for myself. Uh, I must say, I've actually optimized the boys of Tech dot com so well that it didn't really make a great deal of difference. To be quite honest, <laughs> it gives you an estimate of of the you know the the, the drop in time to load the the site and it dropped something like from five seconds to four or something like that so it wasn't a great deal but oh, a second saving well yeah that's true but you know there, there are better uh there are better figures out there like for example 
Uh, they're quoting sites hosted in New York, but being viewed in you know, from New Zealand, uh, dropping mm-hmm. from thirty seconds down to four. Wow! So the, the, that you know, is a significant decrease. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I guess it depends, you know, on how the site's been uh, configured and coded. But this is this is a thing. People who create sites too too many of them don't really care for this sort of stuff, and so they have mm. these websites that are horribly slow, and that's where the software comes in. Mm. I mean, you know, I could, as a web developer, you could pretty much do all of those things yourself if you wanted you to, but uh, so many that's... don't, and this is where, where this comes in and, and really makes a difference. Yep. Alrighty, well, that's our show for the week then, Brett. It was good to be here. It was good to, to have you hosting the show with me again, and uh, we'll do it all again next week, episode 23. We'll have some good stories again, hopefully. Hopefully some good stuff will happen during the week. Uh, I'm, no doubt it will. Alrighty, thank you very much. Thanks, everyone, for listening to episode 22 of The Boys of Tech. See you all again next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.